Welcome to the Live Nourish podcast. I'm your host, Katarina Greer. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and the founder of LiveNourish.co, where you can find my blog, recipes, and services. On this podcast, I chat about all things health and wellness related to help you live a nourished life. Remember, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice. It is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get started. Hello, Fallen. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. So could you just tell everyone just a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? I would love to. So I live in the Dallas area with my husband, who is my college sweetheart. We got married about nine years ago now and our three boys uh, who I homeschool and I'm with full time. Um, And I also became a business owner in December of 2020, which is when I launched uh, Fallon's Table. Um, And that provides metabolically supportive meal plans and recipes for women who are tired of fad diets and so many food rules and want to nourish themselves while enjoying real food. And so that's kind of my ministry and platform now is just supporting women in their nourishment and their health goals. And um, yeah, I just absolutely love it. I love that. And like I said before, like I love your po- um, sorry, your posts on Instagram and stuff. Like they're just so, so helpful for like, especially just all women experiencing, you know, like starting a healing journey and then you know, being scared to like reintroduce food. Cause like, that's a hard thing. Like once you remove something and you think it's like awful and just like bad for your body, it's hard to just get over that and mm-hmm. to like, just be at peace with like reintroducing those foods, even though mm-hmm. like they're not quote unquote, like bad for you. They're just food. <laughs> yeah. It's hard though. You're right. Yeah, for sure. So where did your like healthy, I guess, just like your healing journey, like all begin with food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my middle son was really, really sick, uh, starting at about two months old. He had full body eczema, uh, developed allergies and was just not well most of the time. And we spent months and so much money, uh, and so much time, you know, seeing specialists and trying to get to the root of it. And I, I just kept feeling like there was a food connection somehow, Um, we knew that he had some allergies and so we removed those and that helped a little bit, but there just, there seemed to be this underlying piece that we hadn't found yet. And so I started learning more about, uh, gut health and, you know, our food quality and, um, toxins and all of these things that can contribute to a lowered immune system and an unhealthy gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where it started is that my son was reacting to so many different foods. And so I kind of went down this rabbit trail of, um, healing diets. And so that did play a vital role in our journey. Um, in hindsight, I, I will say that I'm really happy with where we are now. I I spent a lot of years kind of diving into those methodologies that really encourage you to cut things like, you know, dairy and not eat so much fruit. And, um, you know, it's, it's where we needed to be at the time. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of our introduction into healing through food was that my son was just so sick and we needed answers, Um, but it really was just beautiful. I, it spiraled from my son being ill. Uh, I found out I had Hashimoto's not long after that. And so honestly, I, I don't know that I would have dove into healing through food so quickly for myself. It was really for my son. Mm -hmm. And because he was nursing at the time, it was kind of a package deal. You know, I had to kind of follow those, um, those, you know, new food 
sort of rules is what I would call it at the time. We had so many rules around food. And, and while I don't love that aspect of it, you know, we really did start learning about um, how healing food can be and how healing whole food can be and stepping away from uh, a conventional American diet, which is just highly processed and, you know, people aren't cooking at home a lot. Um, we moved away from that into eating real whole foods and man, a lot happened in between, you know, the years that that happened and now, but it was kind of this slow journey of finding, um, just nourishment through real whole food and finding healing for my son and for me. And so he was, he was definitely the spark that, you know, set the, the fire for this whole journey was, was just trying to find answers and healing for him and that healing, just kind of had a domino effect to, to me and to the rest of my family. And of course, now I get to share about it with other women and that's such an honor. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the journey has just twisted and turned over these past, it's been, I guess about six years now since my son oh, okay. first got sick. And so it's been six years of learning um, just more about nutrition and more about mm-hmm. nutrition science and what our body does, um, you know, with the right foods and the right amount of foods and, you know, the right energy. And it's, it's just been a really cool thing to, to just continue to learn, um, Mm. and just continue to see healing for both of us. We've come just so, so far. Yeah. That's great to hear. I feel like, yeah, at first it's definitely, I feel like there's just so much information. Like it's very overwhelming with like all the Mm -hmm. healing diets that are out there, like gaps, like AIP, um, like paleo, there's like mm-hmm. so many. So which one, I guess I'm kind of curious, which one did you like start with, I guess, with like trying to like heal that eczema? Yeah. So we kind of dove into, um, I, I think I eased into like a whole 30 style okay, at yeah. first and then really quickly escalated into AIP, mm-hmm. um, which is just very, very restrictive and it can, it can mm-hmm. be helpful and healing for a short amount of time mm-hmm. for people with really, really compromised guts, but it's not super sustainable. Yeah. Um, and so we, we were on full-blown autoimmune paleo, which mm-hmm. removes a, a lot of whole foods, uh, you know, yeah. it does remove processed foods as well. And that's fantastic. But mm-hmm. a lot of the restrictions do include real whole food as well. Uh, mm-hmm. so we did that for probably almost five years. Oh, wow. We were completely okay. AIP. Mm-hmm. And then so, I kind of led into more of a paleo okay. diet as I found a little bit more healing. Um, mm-hmm. And then from paleo transitioned into a more metabolically supportive style right. diet. And that's where my healing just exploded. So yeah. I kind of did a little bit of everything over the years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. AIP. I did it in 2020 for about four months and then I started mm-hmm. to introduce stuff. So I'm curious with you, like after like five years, I feel like that's so long that like you didn't in like introduce anything like in those five years, a few things here and there, but I I have a really long journey of extreme food restriction. So again, it started with my son, you know, he was so reactive Mm -hmm. to everything uh, that we collectively could not eat very much while he was nursing. Um, once he had stopped nursing, I had already restricted so much Mm. that I was really, really continuing to react to foods. And that's kind of the spiral that you get in, you know, if you continue to just cut and cut and cut and convince yourself that that's the right choice, you know, that all of Mm. these foods are dangerous. And, um, so yeah, I continued cutting and I was convinced that every time I had a symptom, it was because of a food, you know, I never mm-hmm. took like stress into account or, right. um, anything other than just food. So mm-hmm. I, I actually got down to a season, um, actually several different seasons where I could eat about seven to 10 foods total. Wow. Um, and then really found healing, uh, from there in, in kind of a few different ways, but yeah, I didn't get very far in my mm-hmm. reintroductions. I, I was able to add in 
a couple things here and there, but still Mm -hmm. couldn't do, um, a lot of the sort of paleo approved foods, you know, like Mm -hmm. eggs and nightshades and, um, it was it coffee. It was just really extensive still. And I, mm-hmm. I did not have a great time introducing, yeah. uh, because of my, I think, extreme fear around those foods. Okay. So I just want to switch over to like body image. Cause I know mm-hmm. that yeah. you talk about that a lot on your page and you share about it and food freedom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the process to like overcoming that? And how did you find food, feed, food freedom? Cause I'm sure that you know, like you still have bad days where you like still like don't have like good body image days, but, mm-hmm. um, like how did the process begin with that? Yeah. I'll see if I can kind of intermingle these stories. Cause they really do, you know, go so hand in yeah. hand, but the backstory is that, uh, because I was undernourished for, uh, five or six years and probably my whole life before that, you know, it's not like I was eating super well mm-hmm. before that. I, I maybe thought that I was, but it was still kind yeah. of a standard American diet. I wasn't mm-hmm. really prioritizing, you know, animal proteins and and all of it was like low fat and sugar-free and, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of your standard nutrition approach. So, um, I came from a background of being way too undernourished and honestly way too thin, uh, Mm -hmm. in hindsight, you know, my body weight was not sustainable to support Mm -hmm. the health that I needed. And so once I did overcome all of the food fear that I had, which I'll, I'll touch on a little bit more in a second, but, mm-hmm. um, I naturally had to start gaining a little bit of weight because yeah. the weight that I had survived at for so long, I survived is probably not even the right word. Honestly. I mean, I just was, I was not thriving. I was not doing yeah. well. Um, so naturally I did have to gain some weight for my body to kind of reach this, this sense of equilibrium and balance and health. Mm-hmm. Um, so my food freedom journey is really, um, it it was so slow. You know, I, I started out, I think, like I said, there was a season where I was eating maybe seven to 10 foods and I found this brain rewiring program. It's Mm -hmm. called dynamic neural retraining system Mm -hmm. or DNRS for short. And the premise behind it is that, you know, our brain is so, um, just incredibly created. We can literally rewire our brain connections by, changing the way that we think and changing the habits that we're creating in our, in our minds. And so I started this program in the hopes of overcoming this food fear. And so I, you know, started viewing food and my symptoms through a completely different light than I had in the past. Um, and because of that program and because of just the, the principle of brain rewiring in general was able to start overcoming some of that really major food fear and started being able to introduce foods from that. Um, this still was a a point of pretty extreme restriction for me, you know, even Mm -hmm. after doing the program and introducing more food, I still had another, another couple of years where I couldn't eat, um, you know, eggs and tomatoes and coffee and dairy, you know, all of those things were still not a part of my diet, but the, the brain rewiring program kind of gave me a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once I found metabolic eating is when I really started evaluating my relationship with food, the way that I viewed real whole foods and started kind of questioning, okay, why am I so afraid of something like dairy, for example, that has been around basically forever? You know, I think about, um, what ancestral societies would have been eating, Mm -hmm. what foods would have existed, would have existed, you know, three, four, 500 years ago. And dairy is one of them. Yeah. Plant milks are not. No. <laughs> and so it's funny that I was consuming, yeah. you know, almond milk and mm. um, whatever other knockoffs, you know, that I was replacing yeah. 
uh, for dairy. But I just started questioning, okay, why, why is it that I'm afraid of these foods? Is it because someone mm-hmm. told me to be, is it because mm-hmm. I feel like I have a logical reason to be, um, and so I really started diving into all of that and diving into, you know, what are the arguments behind something like, you know, fruit or dairy or carbs in general, you know, not being mm-hmm. something that's supportive. And I just found, I found the evidence extremely lacking, um, in terms of supporting that those foods were not supportive. What I did find is that they have existed forever. They've been a part of people's diets forever. Um, and once I started including them is really when I felt that freedom around food. And I felt that I could eat things that I, I wanted to eat, um, that I looked forward to eating, that I enjoyed eating because that, you know, I, I felt just incredibly deprived for those five or six years that I was doing, you know, AIP, whole 30 paleo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always feel sad when I saw mm-hmm. like my husband, you know, getting to drink coffee or, mm-hmm. you know, getting to, I don't know, have pizza or, you know, yeah. something that I, 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 I was convinced that mm-hmm. I can't have that. And I always felt such a sadness over it. Mm-hmm. And so once I started pursuing food freedom and eating things, uh, that I knew were supportive to my body and changing mm-hmm. my, my mindset around that, I mean, it's just wild how much my relationship with food changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, back to the, the body image and food freedom, both, I think are still, there's still a daily battle in the sense Mm -hmm. that I don't think that you, you get to this point, especially with so many years of, um, you know, just questioning your, your body or questioning your image or questioning your food. I think that it's, it's a daily reminder, Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally that, you know, I, I play devil's advocate with myself and, and often have to say, okay, why, why is dairy nourishing? You know, why is fruit nourishing? And I think those questions are good to ask. I think it's good to ask ourselves, okay, why do I think this food should be included in my diet or not included in my diet. And I think that we have to kind of remind ourselves of the reasons behind those things. Um, and with the body image too, I think it's a daily thing that I have to remind myself that, um, that my health is not defined, defined by my weight. You know, I am not defined by my weight or my body. Um, people don't define me by my weight or my body, you know, my friends and family, um, and nobody's friends and family, you know, people don't love you more or less because of your appearance or yeah. your body image, but we get so hung up on it. You know, we're, we're our own worst critic, of course. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a daily reminder that we have to kind of choose to walk in that freedom that, um, the health and nourishment don't always look like what our society, uh, thinks that they do. Yeah. And we have to just sort of choose to, you know, stand our ground and, preach to ourselves the truth of what we know. And it's just Mm -hmm. kind of an ongoing, it's an ongoing reminder of of what you believe about yourself and about food. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm curious with like the DNRS training, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, how long did it take for you to like start reintroducing foods? And um, I guess to get like where you are now, like, do you need to like keep doing it each week or like a few times a month? Like, like, what's the process? Yeah. So the program is really great in that it does outline specifics. Um, once you are like taking the course, which I don't know if I mentioned, it's like an at-home DVD course, which is fantastic Mm -hmm. because you can do it kind of at your own pace, but, um, they really encourage you to start kind of playing around with being around some of your triggers within a few days. So even within a few days of doing the program, I noticed my symptoms had decreased drastically, Um, I was able to start slowly adding in foods pretty immediately. And the program encourages you to do 
the the steps and the the method for an hour a day for six months straight. Okay. And I did it. I committed yeah. to it, and it was worth it. I mean, my I, just the freedom and the healing that I found from it um, mm. was just so significant. And again, it wasn't that wasn't the entire uh, journey of my healing. I had a lot of mm-hmm. other things that contributed, but that piece alone was just so helpful. But it's it's mm-hmm. intensive for sure. You have to really commit yeah. to that daily practice. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth it for sure. Yeah. I know that my cousin is starting to do it because she's been doing AIP for, I think probably around the same time that you had done it, um, like six or seven years. And wow. yeah, she's really down to like not many foods and she's seen lots of different doctors, like natural paths, like regular doctors. Um, and yeah, she heard about this and so she's trying it. So I'm excited to see that hopefully she can start reintroducing more foods, but yeah, I've heard like lots of good, like testimonies, testimonies on it and like hearing yourself too, as well. Like, it's just great to like see people, you know, like not eating barely like anything and then to eating all the things that they could before. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's amazing. So how did you stop fearing, you know, like real food, like fruit, dairy and carbs? I know that you touched on it a little bit. Could you go Mm -hmm. a like bit more like to those foods? Yeah, I think, again, it just, it took kind of questioning um, the logic behind why I had decided to fear those foods in the first place. And so I think looking at it for me um, from a historical perspective was incredibly helpful. Mm. So taking a look at, uh, you know, societies that have been thriving for thousands of years and people groups that have been thriving. um, And then just thinking about, you know, what what would our great, great, great grandparents have been eating? Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, if, if I had been raised on, um, you know, a farm or, you know, raised somewhere where locally sourced food was readily, readily available, mm-hmm. what would those foods have been? And it would have been things like uh, something that an animal can produce. So, you know, if yeah. you're raising cows and you're going to have access to the meat, the dairy, mm-hmm. um, it would have been things that were grown. So, you know, in season fruits and vegetables. And so I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around why would those items just all of a sudden not be nutritious anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. after uh, existing from the dawn of time. I mean, literally fruit was the first food in the Bible, even like fruit was what God gave Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. in the garden of Eden. And I can't wrap my head around how can that be bad? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we have to take into account that our food today is so different mm-hmm. from what it has been historically. You know, it's been tampered with a lot of it. Um, our dairy is often fortified and our yeah. animals aren't being raised in, you know, a, a regenerative and, um, sustainable manner, like they would have been, you know, hundreds of years ago, but the root of it is, um, the food itself, you know, you can find a local farmer, that's treating their animals well and not, you know, adding GMO feed to their diet. You know, you can find a fruit that's been grown organically. And I think that's the big difference is that when we look at food that um, honestly can be a poor source of nutrition, you know, conventionally farmed dairy or, you know, fruit that's been uh, just heavily treated with pesticides. I can see why those foods have been Mm -hmm. targeted, but I can also see the logic that, okay, in their real natural state, they are still nutritious. And so I think, I think that it just, it just comes back to, again, sort of playing devil's advocate and asking, why do I think these foods are bad? Do I honestly have a good enough reason to stand behind that fruit is not supportive or dairy is not supportive? 
And for me, I just came to the conclusion that the no, the evidence was not there, yeah. um, that it wasn't an overwhelming argument to me uh, to come to a conclusion that, you know, those things were not supportive or helpful. Mm-hmm. And did you find that when you came to that conclusion, like with like finding pro-metabolic, you were like with your research with that? Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I was sort of closed off to the idea of, you know, dairy being supportive. Um, you know, fruit has always been a part of my diet, but I sort of followed the rule of like maybe two to three pieces a day and no more than that. Right. Um, so yeah, once I entered, entered the metabolic sphere is when I really started considering, okay, why did I have all these questions before? Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my son had, had, uh, developed a dairy allergy at a young mm-hmm. age. And so that's kind of what spiraled us into like, oh, dairy is just bad and we have to avoid it. Um, and so finally, you know, kind of entering into the work of, um, you know, all of the fantastic people who are spearheading the metabolism movement sort of as mm-hmm. we know it, it wasn't until then that I really kind of had my eyes opened to, um, the potential that dairy had in our mm-hmm. diets. And we, my husband and I still laugh because it's, it's, you know, after five or six years of insisting that no dairy come into our household and now we're going through, you know, gallons of milk (laughs) in a week, it's still, it's still just really funny. But, um, but yeah, I I think that, you know, finding the metabolism and sort of food freedom realm is what really opened my eyes to things like dairy and uh, animal proteins just being so, so healing. Mm, I feel like that's just like amazing. I guess just like that 360 late turnaround, right. To be like, just eating like all the, like the nut milks and what's st- and stuff like that. And then switching to like raw dairy and just yes. yeah, having that now. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> complete know. turnaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, with like, I guess, reintroducing dairy and stuff, um, did you not have any reactions to begin with? I'm just like curious with like acne or like breakouts or mm-hmm. like digestive pain. Yeah. I will say I, I'm a pedal to the metal type person okay. And I went too quickly. And so I, I did kind of have some, some responses, not so much that I felt like I needed to stop or scale back, but Mm -hmm. with dairy in particular, um, it really is important to take a slow and steady approach. And, um, that's one of the reasons why I decided to create the dairy reintroduction meal plan that I have on my site. Um, because the thing is when you go years and years without dairy, your body stops producing, the lactase enzyme needed to, to break down lactose. Mm -hmm. So if you reintroduce it really, really quickly, your body can definitely have some problems. Um, so slow and steady is definitely the way to go. I, I for sure had some symptoms because I went too hard and too fast. Mm -hmm. And so I use that as an example of what not to do (laughs) and encourage people to really take it slow, you know, listen to their bodies. Um, but it's, it's also hard, you know, when you've been missing those really good fat soluble vitamins, that really good calcium for years and years, your body just wants it and it just craves it. And so it's, it's, it's really hard not to dive in full force. Um, I think long-term your body will definitely thank you for going a little bit slower when you're trying to add dairy back in, in particular. Yeah, for sure. I've heard that you can even start with like a tablespoon just to start out Mm -hmm. just because yeah, like you said, you lose that lactase, um, like that enzyme. And so just like working your way up, I guess, to like eventually get to like a cup of milk yes. or so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. a fantastic approach. Yeah. Yeah. So could you explain the importance of like eating enough and like why 1200 calories, um, is not sustainable for our bodies since like just so many women like nowadays are just undernourished since it's just, I think we're just pushed 
from like magazines and stuff just saying Mm -hmm. like these body images of like women and it's like this is the way you need to look and then we're just therefore like not eating enough Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely this is one of my favorite conversations um so you know you think about food and what it comes down to is that it is energy you know calories Mm -hmm. are energy food is energy and so if we have a minimum requirement that our bodies need to function So let's say, you know, our minimum requirement is, is 1800 calories just to kind of pull a, pull a random number. If we've been consistently eating, let's say 1300 calories, um, our body is going to start sacrificing some of those sort of, uh, secondary, um, functions. Mm. So, you know, your body wants to prioritize living, (laughs) breathing, keeping your organs functioning. Um, so, you know, this is when we start to see things like hair falling out and, you know, cycle health is all over the place and, you know, you don't have any energy and there's mood swings. Um, infertility can be one. I mean, there's so many things that can fall under this under eating category Mm -hmm. because we can't get around that food is energy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if you don't give a car gas, it's not just going to magically run. You have to have that fuel. And so this is why we see a lot of women in particular, whose bodies have just started sort of breaking down because they don't have the requirements that they need. Um, so in terms of, you know, evaluating calories, if we're going to use the example of like 1200 to 1300, cause I feel like that's a really popular range, honestly, that even certified nutritionists will put women on this range. And it just is baffling to me. Um, so the short explanation is that, you know, we have something that's called our, our basal metabolic rate or BMR for short. And that's the amount of calories that we need for our body to literally just survive. So if we were sitting there doing absolutely nothing, so like Mm -hmm. if I sat on the couch all day long, my BMR would be, you know, for me personally, probably, I don't know, between 14 and 1500 calories, Mm -hmm. which again is for me to just to sit there. It's not for me to get up and walk. It's not for me to, you know, chase my kids or exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we add in activities like you know, we're chasing our kids around all day or we're exercising or we're, we're moving and breathing and walking. Mm-hmm. Our calorie needs go up gradually. Most women find that they sh- really should not be eating fewer than about 2000 calories in a yeah. day. And it makes perfect sense when you look at what our bodies require. Um, and it's interesting if you go find like a nutritional chart of, you know, sort of recommended caloric intake, you'll find that that 1200 to 1300 range is usually the need of like an active toddler (laughs) or like an active, you know, four or five-year-old. So for grown women who are trying to either raise children or have children or, you know, um, run a business or work, I mean, they're, they cannot thrive off of 1300 calories. And so we Mm -hmm. just see women in our culture, um, just burning out and, you know, developing all of these health problems because they're Mm -hmm. not eating enough. They're not eating, you know, enough nutrients. Um, you know, it's not, it's not just about calories, obviously nutrients come into play, but the thing is, if you want more nutrients, that does mean more calories, you know, nutrients don't just kind of appear out of thin air there, you know, we have to pair that with food. And so I think evaluating, um, calorie intake and, you know, really making sure that you're eating enough is, is honestly one of the foundations of, of finding health long-term mm-hmm. is just to make sure, you know, you're giving the body, uh, the fuel that it needs. Yeah, for sure. And I think also like increasing like protein too, I feel like women 
it's like very hard, I think, to like get protein in. Like I know like for myself, like before I was getting into like metabolism stuff, I feel like I was only eating like 50 grams of protein like mm-hmm. each day when you're really supposed to be eating, I think like a minimum 100. Um, yeah. So just to like for like all your body's needs, you know, like when you're like doing activities that like you said, like even just like walking or just like moving around the house, um, if you're doing like garden work, like you just need that. And that's also, I think where, you know, like you start to see like hair loss, like fatigue and whatnot, mm-hmm. because like protein is just like so, so important. Um, also like carbs as well. Cause that's like our body's like main source of like energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. They're both so important. And I think you're, you're spot on that protein can be hard to come by because, you know, we've been told for the past couple of decades now that, you know, red meat is bad and eggs are bad. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, becoming increasingly more difficult for women to prioritize protein. And it really is important that we, we are getting, you know, like you said, like a hundred grams plus a day. Mm -hmm. um, And most women aren't. So yeah, yeah, that's a great starting point too. Yeah, for sure. So with being on many restrictive diets, like, as you said, and just, I I guess like healing diets as well Mm -hmm. in the past, how did you get back like in the kitchen? Or I guess, was that always something that really inspired you Mm -hmm. um, with like beginning to create like meal plans for Fallen's table? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I honestly have always loved cooking and creating. Um, and I think honestly, what was sort of the catalyst for my being in the kitchen all the time were those restrictive diets funny enough, because I was so desperate to create something that Mm -hmm. still felt enjoyable, you know, when you can only eat so many foods, it's sometimes hard to come up with meals and snacks and, you know, desserts that feel like, Oh, this is this is enjoyable and this is fun. And and I love Mm -hmm. this. And so, um, oddly enough, I feel like that's kind of what really sped up my journey of really loving being in the kitchen is because Mm -hmm. it was, it was sort of birthed out of necessity that I needed to find a way to, you know, make fun food for my kids, but we could only eat so many things. Um, and so it really became so much more fun to create and be in the kitchen. once my diet expanded, because I could make nourishing things that I had been missing out on, you know, I have to laugh at how many substitutes I tried to make over the years, you know, all the cauliflower stuff and all of the, you know, cashew based dairy knockoffs. I mean, just all of the things that I tried to recreate. Um, and so being able to actually use the real whole food instead, you know, I can make mashed potatoes and I can make something with cheese and I don't have to find some, you know, weird substitute, Mm-hmm. Um, that's been so much more fun to just have, yeah. you know, I, I can just use potatoes instead of making some weird, like cauliflower concoction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been so much fun. And then I, of course, I love that, you know, I can take this love of creating and recipe developing and, um, just share it with people. You know, I not, not everyone has that desire to, you know, come up with new ideas in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and so I love that, you know, I have the time and energy to do that and to pass it on. Um, and, you know, I, I love that my, my creations really can translate into something that people can benefit from that, that just means so much. Yeah. And I think, like we said, like, obviously when you're just being, when you're just on such a restrictive diet, like, it kind of pushes you in a way to like, okay, like what can I find Mm -hmm. to make so I can like still eat something like good because you cannot find something like in the store that you'll just be in the vegetable aisle looking around. Right. (laughs) Um, And so, but then also I feel like it can also be hard in that way to be like finding stuff online or just trying to like create yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Was there there any like pages or like books that like inspired you like for that? 
Yeah, I think I had every like paleo AIP cook under the sun. Um, uh, The paleo approach is a fantastic one, the healing kitchen. Um, And it's great. I've gotten to connect with some of these women now whose, you know, cookbooks I was using for all that time. But there there actually really is an extensive network of AIP and Whole30 style resources. Um, And so I am thankful for the people that created things that, you know, we could use in that season. Um, so yeah, there's lots of, of really great resources out there for recipes for, you know, people who have to be a little bit more restricted for a time. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. Yeah. What is one thing that you do to live nourished? I love that. Um, from a food aspect, I, I try to get in things, you know, daily or weekly that are really supportive. So things like the raw carrot salad, um, mm-hmm. liver, bone broth. Um, but I do think, you know, nourishing ourselves does go deeper than just the food aspect. And so for me, you know, I love to um, be in community with people who are gracious and supportive and, um, you know, who can point me to goodness and kindness and also ask me the hard questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my favorite thing, honestly, is merging the two yeah. and, you know, having people over for dinner to eat a really nourishing meal together in community. Um, and so that's something that we really try to prioritize on a regular basis is just, mm-hmm inviting people into our home, um, having a meal with them, a long relaxed meal, you know, as much as we can with our boys running around, but, you know, have good conversation. Um, because yeah, I think, I think the nourishment of food, um, is so important. And I think that, you know, the, the joy and abundance that comes from being in community with people is just as important. So I love to, I love to kind of marry those desires that I have, you know, whatever I can and just cook for people. Yeah, I agree. Like connection is like so important. And as we probably learned over like the past like couple years, you know, with yes. everything like, closing <laughs> down, like we need to uh-huh. community with people. Um, yeah, it's just like so important. Like obviously like God created that, you know, for us to be mm. in connection with one another. We're not meant to be like isolated alone because then our health just obviously declines, like especially right. like, our mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where can everyone uh, find you and connect with you? Yeah. So on Instagram, my handle is Fallon Danae. Um, and my website is fallonstable.com. And those are kind of my primary platforms. Um, and then I have a podcast that I co-host with my friend, Corey, it's called the freely rooted podcast. And we try to just make metabolic health really accessible and easy to understand. Um, so that's a great place to come find us and yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love listening to your podcast. I listen to it. Thank you. With Corey. Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. I had her on last or two weeks ago. Yeah. It was, it was really great. Oh yeah, that's right. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me.